Hey everybody, welcome to True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. I'm Christy Brower, here with my co-host Katie Weaver. Hey Katie. Hello. How's it going? I'm good. Good. Yeah. Are you ready for a case I've been refusing to tell her? <laughs> this is not exactly a cold read in that this is a case we are familiar with, but what I'm going to ask Katie to read for us is it doesn't matter. Um, but I told her I wasn't going to tell her until uh, we got on the show. So mm-hmm. are you nervous? Are you biting your nails? What are you, what are you I'm thinking? excited. This yeah. might be, after what we've been through, you know, the past six months with cases, um, I, I feel like there's nothing that could surprise me too much. But then again, hold your beer, right? <laughs> right, exactly. And this case is... I would consider this case local to us um, because it happened, well, it it originated in West Valley City, Utah, which is a suburb of Salt Lake City that's three hours from us. And we um, are sort of just the, what do you want to say, the Idaho leg of Salt Lake City, kind of like, Mm -hmm. it's, it's the biggest metropolitan area to us. And so we're very, you know, familiar and comfortable with Salt Lake and have been there many, many times in our lives. And so there's a that connection of I-15 that just connects our area to Salt Lake. And so it does sort of feel local to us. Yeah. Yeah. So we are going to talk today about this Susan Powell case. Okay. Yeah. So uh, the Susan Powell case is, um, it is officially unsolved. It is closed, but it is not solved. Um, it is, well, I'm just going to have to tell you the story because it's such a wacko bonkers story. Uh, so I want to tell the whole story. Okay. And then I have some specific questions for you about the story. So some of you may know this story. This was very famous. It happened 10 years ago. Um, Susan Powell has never been found. She is one of the reasons that this case is not closed is that her body has never been found. She has not been declared dead, even though she's been gone for 10 years. And, you know, um, authorities truly believe that they know what's happened to her, but they can't prove it. So, okay, here we go. I'm going to give you some info. So Susan Cox Powell went missing from West Valley City, Utah um, on, where did I lose this? Oh, December 6th, 2009. She has two sons, Charles and Braden, and her husband, Joshua Powell. So this was a really famous case when she went missing, a huge manhunt for her. Um, There was a ton of pressure. This was one of the first cases that I remember um, as an adult that like it went across the nation and there was a lot of pressure over the, um, you know, to the local authorities to keep this case going and to find her. Um, There was immediate suspicion on her husband, Josh Powell, who was named a person of interest in her disappearance almost immediately, but he never was charged. So let's get into this a little bit. So on the morning of December 6th, um, 2009, uh, Susan and Josh and their children were were Mormons, members of the LDS church. They, uh, Susan and her boys, Charles and Braden, they went to church that morning. And a neighbor came and saw them in the afternoon. And that neighbor left about 5 p.m. And that is the last time anyone saw Susan alive. So on December 7th, the next day, the entire Powell family was reported missing. So this started out as this huge thing, like, oh my God, a whole family has gone missing. So Josh, the two boys and Susan, because the boy, no one brought the boys to daycare and um, Susan and Josh didn't show up at work and no one called in. So some family members were contacted And they called the police because they were like, how, you know, this whole family is missing. Police went to the house. They broke into the house because they thought they fear. They thought at the time, maybe they died of a carbon monoxide poisoning or, you know, they were murdered in their beds or something. So they go into the house and they find nothing. No one's there. Um, Although strangely, and this is in December in Utah, it's 
cold. Oh, yeah. You know, Um, there were two box fans blowing in the living room on a wet spot on the couch. Seemed weird. Mm -hmm. Um, Susan's purse, wallet, everything, her ID were in the house. Uh, Her cell phone was later found in the family's vehicle, which was a minivan. Uh, So about 5 p.m. that day, Josh shows up at home with the boys. And the police take him right in for questioning because they just know something is up. This is not right. Something's weird. And and here they show up back home without the wife. So this is the story that he told. And this is, if you live in Idaho or Utah in December, you know how crazy this story is. He said that he left Susan at home in bed and took their two little boys camping to Simpson Springs, which is in Western Utah. It was literally blizzarding that night when he said that. Uh, No way in hell anybody was going camping. Um, They actually went and visited the campsite a few days later, didn't see any evidence that anyone had been camping there. No duh. Yeah. Uh, So they did find that really suspicious. That story just didn't make any sense that he would take the boys camping at midnight. Also, he was supposed to be at work the next day. Right. He hadn't called off, nothing. Like, he just, you know. No showed work, no showed daycare. Yeah. Yeah, just suddenly they disappear in the middle of the night, and it's because they're going camping in December. Didn't make much sense. So the police search their house. They find some traces of Susan's blood on the floor. They also find that there was uh, several life insurance policies in Susan's name, uh, equaling about $1.5 million dollars. They also found a letter that Susan had written expressing fear for her life. She literally said, if I turn up dead, it was not an accident, even if my husband says it is. Yeah. Because they'd been having major problems. They were having right. major financial problems. They were having major marital problems. Mm-hmm. He run up huge amounts of debt. Uh, major, major issues mm-hmm. going on in, in, in the re- relationship. So they did some DNA, which didn't get released until 2013. And I'll tell you why. A lot of things didn't get released released about this case until 2013. But they did match a blood sample to Susan that was in the house. Uh, There was another sample that they matched to an unknown male contributor. Very key, I think. So in... August of 2012, remember, she's been missing since 2009. No sign of her. She never turned up anywhere. They've not found her body. Um, They released, the police released some stuff about the really highly suspicious behavior of Josh after um, her disappearance. So he did some really sketchy stuff. He liquidated her retirement accounts. Um, He canceled a bunch of doctor's appointments and things that she had. He pulled their kids out of daycare. And um, they interviewed some of his coworkers who said he had talked to them about how to hide a body out in a mine shaft in the western Utah desert. Remember that the campground he supposedly went to was in the Mm -hmm. western Utah desert. So Mm -hmm. they had a lot of stuff that pointed to he did something to her. Yeah. But they didn't have any proof. So they did, they did talk to the kids at some point. Um, older son, Charlie, he did say that, yes, they did go on the camping trip. But he also said that mom went with them and then she didn't come back with them. Um, a few weeks after he was missing, there was a teacher that was one of Charlie's teachers who also who said that Charlie told her that his mother was dead. Um, and Susan's parents said that Braden, the younger one, while at daycare, drew a picture of a van with three people in it and told the people at the daycare that mommy was in the trunk. So the boys were little, you know, mm-hmm. daycare age, not elementary age. Yeah. Um, but they knew something yeah. had gone awry. So um, at this point, the police say they're going to question him again. There was all this stuff that went on back and forth. They would question him. They would search where he was living. It, it went round and round literally for years um, in which at no time did anything come up about her location. Um, there were tons and tons of media interviews with Josh. The police combed through all of that. 
Um, finally, at this point, this is in 2012, he gets an attorney and he started getting really uncooperative. He moved at that time also to Washington, to uh, Puyallup, where his dad, Stephen, was living. Now, let me tell you a little bit about dad, Stephen. When, at one point after uh, Josh and Susan were married, they lived with Stephen for a short time. And while they were living there, Stephen became um, very infatuated with Susan to the point of filming her without her knowledge, following mm. her, stalking her. Yeah, really creepy stuff. Way oh, worse wow. came out later. Mm -hmm. Finally, at some point, he propositions her and she mm -hmm. freaks out and they move out. And that's when mm -hmm. they moved to West Valley City. They moved away. So after, you know, it's really clear, but this again has taken years. Okay. She disappeared in 2009. Finally in 2012, right. the police are finally, you know, saying, okay, we're really going to make a move on this guy. Mm -hmm. This is one of those cases where you go, what the hell were they doing for all that amount of time? Yeah. Um, so they went to Puyallup and moved in with his dad uh, to get out of the area. I really think um, because the police were really starting to look at him. Mm -hmm. So he also had lost his job at that point. So about that time, there was this website. Do you remember this, Katie? SusanPowell.org. Mm -hmm. website. Oh my gosh. It was said to be the official website of Susan Powell. Well, it was all about how, um, there was this smear campaign against Josh on the part of Susan's family and that there were just people out to get him. Oh, and also that it was the LDS church out to get him, which that matters because um, Stephen, Josh's dad, hated the LDS church and was really, you know, like very against it. And so suddenly now the LDS church is out to get Joshua as well. There were all kinds of stuff speculating all these crazy things about her disappearance um, there was this guy, Stephen Coker, who was a journalist who went missing the same week as Susan. And so they tried to say that those two ran off to Brazil together. That was one of the potential outcomes that was uh, on this website, which, of course, was absolutely wow. no. So just straight up propaganda. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, they, people really believed that it was them, that was Steve, mm -hmm. you know, his dad and, and him doing that. Totally. Um, another time they claimed that Susan had abandoned her family due to mental illness and that she'd left with another man. Um, there's absolutely no evidence of any of that at all. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and, and if that were the case, you think she'd just disappear without a trace, without her purse, without right. her ID and her wallet and never yeah. to see her children again. Yeah. You know, here's right. a quote. Most women would never do that We're ever. Talking about a mother. Yeah. Yeah. So then the police kind of find out about Stephen Powell being obsessed with Susan. And so the police kind of start looking at him, wondering what's going on. So mm -hmm. they serve a search warrant on his house in Washington and they do this huge search and they find 4,500 images of Susan on his computer, all taken without her knowledge, including close-ups of specific body parts. Like oh. taking pictures of her in the shower and stuff. It was uh -huh. really cool. Wow. So at that time, they also start looking at Joshua, Josh's brother, Michael. Because about the time that Susan went missing, he sold his car. It was an old Ford Taurus to a wrecking yard in Pendleton, Oregon. Again, he didn't live in Pendleton, Oregon. He lived in Washington. So it was a weird, like, why would you go that far away to sell your car to a yeah. junkyard? Anyway, so they got satellite images of that lot. They found um, the car and they took a police dog there. And the sniffer dog that they used indicated uh, decomp in the trunk of the car. Um, they were not able to get any conclusive DNA. But again, like there's so much circumstantial evidence. There's so much piling up on this but never quite enough, you know? Yeah. Um, in 2011, you know, and this whole time they're looking and they're trying, I don't mean to malign the police too much, but it just seems crazy to me that this never 
came to anything. They went to a place called Topaz Mountain, which is uh, in the desert. It's near Nephi, which is southern Utah. And it was a place that Joshua liked to camp because um, they they discovered what could have possibly been a grave site there. There was signs that somebody had been digging there. Uh, when they found, when they dug a few feet down, that they initially had a cadaver dog um, that, you know, showed on that site. Mm-hmm. But they couldn't find anything. Like maybe there had been something buried there that wasn't anymore. Um, so there were thoughts that possibly she had been buried there at one point and then been moved. But mm-hmm. again, absolutely no proof. They could find nothing to actually test to prove that. All they know is that. Potentially there had been something dead there that wasn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. So the Powell family and then Susan's family, the Cox family were very hostile. And, you know, the Cox family 100% blames Josh for this. Yeah. And so of course, Stephen, his dad and Josh, you know, they do all kinds of stuff to antagonize the Coxes, And, you know, it was a big fight. And it was all over in the news when it was happening in like, 2010 and 11 and 12. Yeah. Um, especially because then they came out with Josh and, and Stephen came out with this story that Susan was actually having an affair with Stephen and that they'd been falling in love. And they had some journals that Susan wrote in when she was a teenager. And they used that as evidence to try to say that she was mentally ill, which was so screwed up and dumb. And the the Cox family was so upset and angry about this. They actually got a judge to issue an injunction to stop Joshua and Stephen from being able to publish those journals Mm -hmm. because they were publishing them. They were putting them out in the press and in the media and, you know, saying, see, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. think about what any girl writes in her teenage journals. When you're an adult, you probably do look like you're crazy because you kind of are when you're a teenager. Um, So they, you know, they got an actual injunction against them to stop that. She was just sick. Like they've done everything they can to malign this poor woman who's, you know, Mm -hmm. missing, presumed dead all this time. And all they can do is just be shitty about her. It's just so gross. It's so gross. Yeah. So then in 2012, 10, sorry, got to get my date. Oh, 11 in 2011. uh, Stephen was arrested on charges of voyeurism and child pornography. Uh, They found evidence. So they were really keeping an eye on him after this whole, you know, voyeurism stuff. Super creepy. So they found that he had been secretly videotaping women and young girls in, you know, and that included Susan. Mm -hmm. So um, they also said that they were suspecting Joshua in the child pornography investigation. So Josh also, um, if you read anything about Josh's history, you know that, Um, His parents had a really tumultuous relationship and dad was a total asshole and he was exposing his young boys to pornography. And Josh had a lot of problems as a kid. He killed some gerbils on purpose that belonged to his sister and he had a suicide attempt and he had a lot of um, behavioral problems and mental health problems as a teenager. And you can look right back on that family and see why and look at what, you know, what dad had been up to all that time. Um, so about the time that this happens, uh, the Cox family, the Cox parents file for custody. Well, it's actually, uh, Susan Cox's dad, Chuck files for custody of her kids Mm -hmm. saying, you know, they can't be there. They, you know, this, this, we've got voyeurism and child pornography on the grandpa's part. They're questioning dad. They're wondering about him as well. Right. And so the court does actually give temporary custody to him. Yeah. Uh, and they said that Josh would have to move out of Stephen's house if he wanted to get custody of his kids back. Mm-hmm. So Josh being the truly stand-up guy that he did, he rented a house. Um, but authorities, I think at this point, finally were hip to his bullshit mm-hmm. because they um, kept an eye on him and found that he never actually moved into the house. He was just renting it. And so they wouldn't give the kids back. Um, some of Josh's family started to turn on him. His sister, Jennifer, you know, said that she did really think that he was responsible for, um, Susan's disappearance. 
uh, his other sister, Alina, said that too. And then she kind of withdrew it. And there was a lot of, this case had so much drama for several years. It was like, it was in the news all the time. It's kind of like how the Daybell Vallow case is now. It yeah. was very similar to that, that there was tons of media around it all the time. Mm -hmm. um, let's see. So uh, let's see. So they just really kept feeling like they were getting really close to the point of being able to arrest him. And so they mm -hmm. just kept pushing and kept pushing. Um, they even had Josh do a bunch of court ordered evaluations, um, you know, trying to determine what kind of a human he is really, you know, right. although I don't think any of us have this, any questions. They kind of came back and said he has some narcissistic personality traits and, and some paranoia and he's not super awesome with his kids, but he's not mentally ill necessarily. Mm -hmm. um, so they decided that he should have visitation with his sons several times a week supervised by a social worker. So he couldn't get him back, but he could see him. Sadly, this was a terrible choice. Um, so in January of 2012, police discovered because they just they just cannot stop they're on him like crazy so yeah. they discover 400 images of a simulated child pornography bestiality and incest on his computer the problem is these are hand drawn like cartoons of this disgusting stuff mm -hmm. and so although it further confirms for them that he is seriously screwed up it's not illegal yeah. so again they're right on the edge and they can't do anything to him so uh, they, oh, then of course, um, Josh and his brother, they start saying that Susan's family is abusing and neglecting the boys and they're in collusion with child welfare and everybody's out to get them. You know, we've heard this story a million times and that they're just harassing him over his wife's disappearance and all this crap. Um, they've actually put up a Google website saying all this stuff. I got to say the Cox family, it's interesting that it's a Cox family, right? Because there's Cox. Yeah, family I was thinking that too. Dave Alvalo case. These guys were absolute rock stars because every time these jokers did something crappy, they just took them right to court mm -hmm. and they did it again and um, got that Google site taken down. Because again, they're just saying terrible yeah. lies. You know, yeah. not that any of this is about, you know, actual missing human beings, Susan Powell. Right. So then here's the culmination. Um, on February 5th, 2012, I will never forget when this happened. I will never forget this because I am a social worker and I'm also a foster adoptive parent. And so when this happened, this was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. So February 5th, 2012, social worker Elizabeth Griffin Hall calls 911. She's taken Charles and Braden to a supervised visit at Josh's house so what happens is she's supposed to monitor the visit and he opens the door, grabs the kids, pulls them in, slams the door and locks it, just slams it in her face and won't let her in. Yeah. And so, she, you know, she's like, holy shit, something is going down here. So she yeah. calls 911. Well, shortly after calling 911, the house explodes. Yeah. Blows up, kills Josh and the two children just yeah. right there, um, you know. So, of course, the police come. They rule it as a murder-suicide um, because there's gasoline all over the house. Like, it was intentional. He had been prepared to set the house on fire. Mm -hmm. Although the children had wounds from a hatchet on their heads and faces. Like, he had actually been trying to kill them before the house blew up. And this mm -hmm. all was just in a few minutes from the time that the social worker got locked out and called the police. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just horrifying because here, you know, now we still don't know where Susan is. Now dad and sons are dead. Um, basically the police confirm, you know, that he planned it deliberately. It was a murder suicide and they fully believe that he did it to cover up the fact or, or to escape the fact that he had killed his wife. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that Very he kind of. I don't think that's what it was about. I feel like this was just a good final big F you to the Cox family. Right. I, I absolutely agree. He took the children, he took the children away forever. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally agree. Yeah. So apparently he'd sent a bunch of emails right before this happened saying goodbye. 
He sent instructions to one person about where his money was and how to turn off the utilities to his house. Um, he had withdrawn $7,000 from his bank account and he had donated his kids' toys and books to local charities the day before this happened. So it was 100% planned. He named his brother Michael as the beneficiary of his life insurance policy and his dad was in prison at the time. Mm-hmm. So now all we have left is Michael and Stephen who may potentially know what happened or maybe even had been involved, right? Yeah. So a year later on February 11th, so almost exactly a year later, a year and just a few days later after that, Michael killed himself. He took his own life in Minneapolis, Minnesota. He was there at grad school and he jumped off the roof of a parking garage. Holy shit. So here we have one more person that goes away, doesn't know, likely knew what happened to Susan Powell and where she is. So in, uh, May, let's see. In May of 2013, the West Valley City Police closed this active investigation into her disappearance. They basically said, we're quite sure her husband killed her. There's nothing we can do. And they closed her case. Yeah. Um, There's been a book about this case uh, called The Light and Dark Places. There's also, I think, several documentaries on this case at various stages of it. Some of them not all the way around, you know, not all the way up to this point. Because in... um, Let's see. So then there's been several court battles trying to determine Susan legally dead so they can collect her life insurance Mm -hmm. done on the part of Josh Powell's family. I mean, how sick are these people? Uh, Again, dad, Chuck Cox, sued um, on Susan's behalf and on Susan's estate and got control over her estate. Mm-hmm. Because remember, Josh left his beneficiary as his brother, Michael, which they were married. Right. And anyway, uh, right. so he did get that so that he couldn't they gain full control of her estate so that they could not benefit financially. Seriously, after all this, his right. family was trying to benefit financially from her. So the, so the trail of benefits would have been then he was Susan's beneficiary because yeah. they were married when he died his brother became the beneficiary of him and susan's estates right when his brother died then either dad or sister became the beneficiary of all three of those estates holy shit yeah yeah wow even after all this they're still trying to profit yes so sick the other thing that the cox family did is they sued washington department of social uh and health services dshs is what they call it in washington um, that uh, they prioritized Joshua's parental rights over the safety of the kids and were complicit in their deaths. Yeah. So initially um, the court ruled against the Coxes, and then this went to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and they reversed that ruling uh, and they did let it go to trial. So it did ultimately result in some changes for um DSHS in Washington. Mm -hmm. So wait, Um, so it went to trial and they won? mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, basically the state was just required to make some changes. Sure, okay. I mean, it's not like, it wasn't a criminal trial, but it's a civil trial. Um, But they they changed some of their laws, also in Washington and in Utah, that um, to change um, visitation rights for parents Mm -hmm. who are being investigated for murder. Basically, if they're being investigated for murder, they their visitation rights should be restricted to their children, which yeah, you know, duh. duh. Yeah. Um, so Stephen Powell, dad, remember, was still alive up to this point. Mm-hmm. He was released from prison in July of 2017. He served seven years for voyeurism and child pornography. And he died of natural causes in July of 2018 without giving anybody information about what he knew. So at this point, Susan does remain a missing person. She still has not been declared dead. Uh, It is, of course, believed that her husband did it, um, but we don't have definitive proof of that. I mean, we have tons of circumstantial proof, but not definitive. Mm -hmm. So my questions, Katie, and I know, holy shit, that's a big case. That's a lot to Mm -hmm. unpack. 
did Josh Powell kill Susan? I'm just going to give you all my questions and then you can answer them as you want. Okay. Was Michael Powell involved in the death or in the disposal of her body? Uh-huh. Okay. Was dad involved or did he just know after the fact? And was Susan's body moved? Was it Susan's body up there um, on Topaz Mountain and they moved it or was that something else? So those are my four questions for you and anything else that you want to share, feel free. All right. So yes, he killed Susan. Yes, he killed her in the house. Um, Susan was trying to leave him. She tried to leave him a few times before, I believe. And she, again, was done with his bullshit and had said she was leaving. Uh, I feel like they struggled and he pushed her and she hit her head on something. I don't feel like he killed her on purpose. He was, you know, it was a bad thing, but I don't feel like he, this was premeditated, but I do feel like he killed her. And then he panicked and freaked out, you know, not that he hadn't thought about it. Obviously he had, you know, Um, this wasn't the way he had envisioned it going down though. And so then he has a dead wife on his hands and he panics. I keep seeing one of those sleds that we used to ride when we were kids, the long orange ones. Mm -hmm. The hard plastic one. Yeah, long, hard plastic sled. It would be, you know, about five feet-ish long, maybe a little bit longer. Mm -hmm. I keep seeing her. I feel like what he did is he wrapped her up and put her, basically wrapped her onto one of those sleds and put her in the back of the car. And the boys were told that they were going camping. The boys were told that mommy was sleeping in the back of the car. You know, those were things that he said to them thinking that, uh, you know, he could just make that normal. I don't feel like she bled a lot in the house. I feel like she did bleed in the house. I do feel like the, you know, the, the box fans blowing on the couch, you know, we know that they found some traces of blood in the house. I don't feel like she spilled an enormous amount of blood in the house. I feel like, uh, but she did, you know, and obviously he worked to clean that up. Um, I feel like he worked for a long time at the house to bundle her up into onto the sled and to get that put together and then to take care of the boys. And, you know, I feel like he woke them up in the middle of the night and loaded them into the car and said, we're going on an adventure. We're going camping. Where's mommy? She's asleep in the back of the van. I don't think the boys ever saw her. I don't think, I think they were just told that. I don't think that they actually saw her. I feel like he drove quite a long ways while the kids slept in the van. And I feel like they got left in the van for a while by themselves. They were asleep. They, you know, again, this was probably early, early morning at this point, you know, but I, I feel like he, I have this image of him with that sled tied around his waist, Mm. trekking out onto the desert to get rid of her. I feel like he did send her down into some kind of a mine shaft or a hole of some sort. I think her remains will be found at some point. I feel like somebody exploring or spelunking or, you know, digging around into uh, dangerous places actually will find her at some point, because I do still think she is out on that desert somewhere. That is a vast place. I feel like she is very far under the earth. We've, we've been out through that, that, you know, Southern Utah desert is, is a huge, huge place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, but I do actually think at some point that they will find her. They'll find a body, uh, you know, strapped to a sled. Cause I feel like he pulled her on a sled and I have this great image of him with her tied, you know, with him, with that sled tied around his waist and trekking quite a ways from the van. I feel like the boys were in the van alone for probably two hours while he walked and then he shoved this sled down into some, you know, underground spot, you know, where, mm-hmm. and I think that that's probably why she hasn't been found yet because I think because she was on the sled that she went down a long ways into some kind of a shaft, you know, because it wasn't just dead weight body. It was something, you know, yeah, like to slide. Well, I remember how those sleds, they were fast, man. They went a yeah. long ways. Yeah, I have such a, a clear image of that sled. Anyway, then I feel like he came back to the van and slept there for a little while until the boys woke up. And then they ate 
and they messed around for a little while and he kind of tried to make it like it was fun. We're having fun. We're, we're, we went camping. And then, of course, you know, later that day, they rolled on home. Did dad know? Yes, dad knew. I feel like he called dad after it happened. I feel like he called Stephen after it happened uh, in an absolute panic. And he helped him make the plan that he made. I feel like the decomposed body situation at Topaz Mountain is just a red herring. I don't feel like that was anything to do with this case. I do feel like there were constant breadcrumbs dropped by Stephen and by Josh to uh, confuse the authorities and try and, you know, yeah. create some kind of chaos somewhere. And I feel like the fact that they found some decomp at Topaz Mountain was absolutely by coincidence. I think that they loved every second of it. But here's a real twist, I think, uh, for me. The brother in the car, right? Yeah. He did have a dead body in the back of his car. It wasn't Susan. Wow. They should have taken a harder look at Stephen. He was, or not Stephen, uh, what was his name? Michael. Michael. Michael was as depraved as his dad and his brother. I think he covered it a little bit better. But um, I do absolutely think that he had, I, I see a woman that he killed. I feel like this wasn't someone that he uh, knew well. I feel like this was maybe someone who was hitchhiking or a homeless person. You know, this was a woman that was, uh, that has, is missing, but is missing from a long ways away that nobody really, you know, didn't connect it. Mm -hmm. Hasn't made the connection. He buried that body. However, I feel like he, uh, he did have it in the back of his car for a while while he was trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. Believe it or not. I think both of these brothers killed women and disposed of them. Wow. Um, I feel like these boys were, seriously abused by their dad when they were little and it wasn't just being exposed to pornography and adult things I feel like they were sexually abused uh, horrifically when they were little and then of course all of the issues with their parents like this was a house from hell entirely it's there's a part of me that goes wow Josh really wanted to break away from that really wanted to like have a good life there was a part of him that really, really wanted that, that could not shake the snares of his dad and the influence on him and the horror that he went through as a kid. It was just all there, you know? And so, but I do feel like a lot of the stuff, like the websites and the, the taunting the Powell family and things like that, that was very much Stephen Cox family or the Cox family. Sorry. Yeah. That was very much Stephen. He was enjoying this to pieces you know, he thought this was, he was getting a lot of joy, a lot of enjoyment out of watching this happen. And yeah, that's really horrifying. Now, why did Josh decide to just uh, end it all? You know, I feel like he was done. He was done. I feel like he was tired of losing, you know, I don't feel like he was really afraid that he was going to get at some point busted for his wife's murder. He wasn't, you know, he hadn't been busted at that point. They obviously didn't have enough to arrest him. Right. You know, everything that the police looked at for him, he uh, he seemed to get away with, except for yeah. the kids. Except yeah. for the kids. That was the one thing he couldn't win. And I feel like that was the ultimate FU to the Coxes was to just take them away forever. That's all that was. That wasn't fear. He wasn't afraid he was about to get caught. He wasn't about to get caught. He wasn't. No. No, but I do feel like at some point that Susan's body will surface in Utah, that somebody, wow. you know, some adventure seeker digging around in dark places will actually come across that bundle with her in it. Wow. Yeah. Well, that's good to know for people still looking for her because many are. Yeah. It's it's just unreal. It's just when it happened, it was unreal. It was back in 2009. That kind of stuff didn't happen in our area, which, yeah. you know, Salt Lake sort of feels like our area. Those these kinds of things didn't seem to get this close to us. Yeah, um, it was, you know, such a horrifying thing for a mother of two little tiny kids to go missing. There was so much empathy and worry about her children. Um you know, the funny thing is, is there was suspicion on Josh from the beginning 
there yeah. really was not any empathy for him. I mean, the the whole yeah. area in Utah and here in Idaho, people had yeah. distrusted him from day one. Mm-hmm. His behavior was so weird. Everything that he did was so strange. None of it made sense at all. Yeah. Can you imagine taking toddlers camping in winter? No yeah. sane person would do that, you know, and you just yeah. knew he didn't. Just knew he didn't yeah. do that. Those were just the words he used with the kids, you know. Yep. To manipulate them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, you think about, I mean, obviously this family is unbelievably depraved. When you look at that, the sisters were still suing not that many years ago to try to get her declared dead so that they could benefit from her life insurance. I mean, after all this, really? Yeah. It's, It's so sick. Unbelievably disgusting. Yeah. 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 Her poor family, they have been such rock stars. Her dad, especially, it's really, you know, they've all really stood up for her, but her dad more publicly, and he's the one, Mm -hmm. you know, that's gone to court against him several times and all the stuff Mm -hmm. that he has done to try to defend his daughter and protect his grandchildren. And I mean, they did Mm -hmm. absolutely everything. I cannot imagine how devastated Mm -hmm. they must be to have lost her and those little boys over all this. Can you imagine that phone call? You know? I cannot. I cannot because I remember when it happened vividly. I when it came through on the news, yeah. it was so shocking. Not that it didn't just confirm their greatest fear, you know, because they had fought and fought to prevent this very thing. Yeah. They, they knew. They knew that at some point Josh would hurt those kids. They knew. Well, yeah. and I honestly as a social worker, I have a great deal of empathy for the social worker oh that my was God. there at that time. Um, so scary for her. You know, the system definitely failed these kids, but it it wasn't her fault. She was there doing the court ordered visitation she yeah. was ordered to do. She had no Absolutely. way of knowing he was going to do this. I can't it's a miracle she lived through it. It is. It is. I mean, it's a miracle that the explosion didn't take her to. Uh, yeah, entirely. She stepped entirely. away from the house. But I can only fathom the amount of PTSD she has oh, from that I, experience. I cannot imagine what what she has been through over it and then for the cox family to sue um the yeah. state and you know mm-hmm. i mean i mean and i fully understand why they did because allowing this kind of visitation with this man when they had so much you know on him and so much suspicion of him yeah, yeah. i get it a lot but that social worker in the moment was just there for a visitation you know she had no way of right. knowing that he was going to do what he did and to do it. And I mean, he was so unhinged. You're going to kill yourself and your kids and you're going to do it by blowing up your house. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he, he had hit them with a hatchet Mm -hmm. before the house blew up. I mean, he was completely out of his mind. He was completely. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Yep. He was, it's just unfathomable. It is. And it's so feel into why the hatchet. yeah, Yeah. No kidding. Hell was the point of that before you blow up the house, right? Because I don't feel like blowing up the house was plan two or plan B. You know, that was the A plan. That was happening. I had some weird sense that what I get from that is that he was trying to knock them out so that they wouldn't feel the blast. So that I it was it was a very weird act of attempting to prevent them from having to it was like, okay. I don't want to use this phrase, but it's what comes up. And it was a very misguided, deranged form of compassion on his part. Like, I'm going to knock them out so that they don't have to feel this. You know, why a hatchet into the head and face? The guy was crazy. I mean, you know, I mean, there's no super good answer for that. You can't reason with unreasonable, you know. Right. But that's what I'm getting on that is that he was actually trying to knock them both out so that then he could blow the house up without them experiencing that. Yeah. I actually don't think it worked, but yeah. Well, I can only imagine they were instantly terrified because they knew. Right. It just shouldn't have been done. They're a little older now than they were, Mm -hmm. you know, and they're living with their grandparents. And so their view of things has shifted, I'm sure. And, uh, you know, he he may have needed to subdue them also just so that they didn't try to run out of the house some way. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Well, and just the, the, the lack of closure on this is so hard. I think I, I can't imagine being the family, but just even 
for the community, the lack of closure. I mean, every year you see it in the news, every year it comes up on the day that she disappeared, it's in the news again. And this year will be 10 years. No, 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 last year was 10 years, 10 years in 2019. So we're almost to 11 years. There's, there's still vigils held for her and there is a memorial in the same cemetery where her boys were buried. There's a memorial for her there. Well, um, that's good. Yeah. Didn't Utah pass a law that Susan's law, or maybe it was Washington. Uh, I believe it was Utah. There, there were some changes in Washington and in Utah, but I do believe that there is a, a law named after her in Utah that is about not allowing visitation uh, with parents who are um, under suspicion of murder mm-hmm. or something like that. Kind of interesting in the scope of uh, the Melanie Pulowski custody uh, yes. battle that's going on right now. Yeah. So totally switching gears, you guys, I'm sorry, but some of you will understand what I'm talking about. Some of you won't, but I'm referring to the Daybell Vallow case. Melanie Pulowski is the niece of Lori Vallow. She was, the ex-wife of a gentleman or, well, she was actually the estranged wife at the, at the time of a man named Brandon Boudreaux, who last fall, uh, somebody took a shot at and tried to kill. Yeah. And there's a lot of suspicion and some evidence that points towards Alex Cox in that case. And Melanie's uncle. Yeah, who was Melanie's uncle and, you know, some suspicion that Melanie may have had something to do with that. And ever since that happened, Brandon took their children and went into hiding with them to save his life, which for very good reason. Thank God he did, or he probably would have been killed. And who knows about their kids, you know? Right. I, I think also no just as much to, kids. to protect and, mm-hmm, But they've been back to court for custody in Arizona now, gosh, two or three times this year. Yeah. And every time the court has sided with Brandon and his attorney because of this situation, you yeah. know, they keep nodding back to this situation where somebody tried to kill Brandon and they have reasonable, you know, reasonably good uh, evidence to believe that it could have been Alex, which also obviously helps to uh, implicate that Melanie could have had something to do with it. And the courts have yet to let her have anything with her kids. Yeah. yeah. Last year. Which uh, I think is so, awesome, you know. Yeah. Arizona I mean, I mean, must have it going on as well in some way because. Well, you know, child protection. Child protection law is vary by state, but, you know, it, it, it's quite true in Idaho and Utah that child protection law does favor parental rights over, over yeah. child safety. It does. Yeah. We're, we're family reunification states, which means that the ultimate goal is to get children back with their parents, which I'm not saying is necessarily a bad thing, but no. it gives parents who have children in the system more rights than maybe they should have in situations like this. And you look at this Josh Powell situation as a good example of that. Yeah, Washington absolutely. obviously has some similar um, laws to yeah. Idaho. Um, so, yeah, I don't know, you know, and, and of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. in this. I, I don't think that anyone would have predicted that he would have murdered his children. Right. He fought to keep them, you know, it, but, but I think you're absolutely right, Katie, that your read on this is that this was a, a an F you to the Cox family and to take those children from them permanently. I don't mm-hmm. have any doubt that that's exactly what happened. Yeah. And that's just so sick. Mm-hmm. But yeah. you know what? I, I hope somebody does find her. I, I hope at least there's that closure. I do feel like that happens. When? I don't know. Yeah. Timing is weird, and, and I don't think I can predict it. But I do feel like it happens. Mm-hmm. Good. Her family at least gets that. Yeah. Well... You know, we were asked to cover the Susan Powell case. It was a case that's been brought up in our YouTube um, comments several times. So thank you for suggesting cases. Please feel free to continue to do that. We we do want you to suggest unsolved cases because that's what we cover yeah. on this show. Um, but feel, feel free to keep suggesting them. And, you know, we always take them into consideration. But this was one that I felt like, yeah, it's time. It's time for yeah. us to talk about it, particularly because we we lived in the time that it happened in an area where it was covered so heavily and was so, yeah. you know, it was very well known around here. And so I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I think it's nice to hear your take on where she is and what happened and. Yeah. You know, those things. Okay. Wow. Yeah. 
Well, you know, as always, you can find us over on Facebook. We're True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. We also have a discussion group over there by the same name. You can Mm -hmm. find us there. If you are listening on a podcast platform and would like to watch the show, you can. We are on YouTube. We're True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters there as well. And you're welcome to come and uh, watch the show and comment. We love to hear what you all think about these things. Somebody's going to correct me on something. That always happens every single case. Um, Not every single case. (laughs) These cases with a lot of information. It's, Mm -hmm. you know. And I know somebody out there is a hardcore Susan um, Powell junkie, and they're going to correct me on something. But that's okay. We're, right. we're, we uh, are true crime fans, just like you all are. And so we love to know what's up with this, uh, with these cases. And we love suggestions. So that's the way to suggest a case to us. Come watch us on YouTube and make a comment. And we do keep an eye on those. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are over on Patreon. So if you would like to support us and help us keep doing what we're doing, you can go over there and become a patron. And when you do, you get access to free uh, content, to exclusive content that is nobody but our patrons get to see. So yeah, it's a great way to get some extra content if you love the show. It's true. Our patrons this month got something super fun. Yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. we did a battle. We did. We, we did, did a cold, cold battle. battle. Yep. Yeah, and we, <laughs> we left it up to the listeners to decide who won. So, you know, might want to go join Patreon so you can see that show and you can decide if I won or if yeah. Katie won. I yeah. don't know. I mean, or, I if might or if it was a draw. Or if it was a draw. Katie said maybe the listeners won because they got to hear 10 cold reads in one show. It's possible. Mm-hmm. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks Alrighty. for being here with us, guys. We really appreciate it. We are True Crime Paranormal with the Psychic Sisters. And we will be back with another great case. Have a good week. Thanks, guys. Take care. If you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can always like and subscribe there as well. We also love comments and reviews. True Crime Paranormal is hosted by Katie Weaver and Christy Brower and produced by Christy Brower. True Crime Paranormal is a short girl productions podcast.